Father, we come, we come recognizing that you are eternally great. You are eternally awesome. You are sovereign. You are good. And you are mighty in all your ways. And we look at history, we look at time, we look at our days, and we see that history is moving along your paths. Where you're bringing it to the culmination of consummation. Where all wrongs will be made right, and the curse of the fall will be no more. And so we rejoice in you this morning. We glory in your Son, Jesus Christ, that through Him, though we have sinned greatly, we find that all of our sin is forgiven through Christ. And where we were severed from You and separated from You, now we know You through Your Son, and we thank You for the life that You've given through His life to us. And so we praise You, God, this morning. And we recognize you are worthy of all wonder. You are worthy of all of our awe. You are worthy of all of our adoration and praise and worship this morning. And so we come to you and ask that you would help us as those who come before the great and the living God over all things. We come and ask that you would help us to cling to your words, to receive them wholly and fully as those who are in need of them. We indeed need you every hour. And so we pray this morning that you would lift up your words, that they may be clearly heard and fully received with all our hearts. And as difficult as it may be, may you be with us now that you would, through your word, convict, you would illuminate, you would soften hard hearts, you would open blind eyes, and you would grant your children boldness and real godliness in all of life for your glory, by your spirit, in your precious son. And so we look to you in all these things, and may each of us, even now, right now, just give up ourselves to you that you may do your will in us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We went into First Peter last week with Easter as we rejoiced in our risen Savior. And so we're going to continue our walk and our study to the Gospel of John this morning with John 15. So John chapter 15 And we'll be in verses 1 through 8. So as we take up our Bibles this morning, I want you to do something with me. And we've done something like this before. But, you know, imagine that that here and now you are right there in this passage. And I know we haven't read it yet. But here, you know, this is Jesus' farewell discourse. And so... He's talking expressly to his disciples. And so let's, let's imagine that you are there with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. You're sitting there at table with him as he is instructing and giving all of these words here, these final words before he goes to the cross. 
And so you're there and you're sitting with Jesus or walking alongside Jesus. You're sitting under him. You're learning at his feet. You're being taught by Christ himself. So just imagine, I mean, how would you receive that, you know? How precious would his words be? How they would be, you know, food for your soul and how they would stir up your faith, you know, stir up a a further trust in him, you know. He is the Christ, you know, and you're seeing all this, you're hearing his words, you're hearing it from his mouth. And it would stir you on to definite action. Well, here... In John's Gospel, we have Jesus continuing on where he is teaching his disciples here, providing for them his final instructions before he would take up the cross for us. Now, if you would like to learn from him in the way I just described, you need not be there at that moment with him with the disciples, you need only to open your Bible up with me this morning. This is what we have in God's Word. The words of Christ for us. So Him speaking to us. And so this morning, instead of kind of thinking that, well, man, I wish I was there, you know? Well, wow, we... Right now, this morning, as we read these words, we're hearing Christ speak to us. Amen. So you want to you wanna sit at his feet? You want to learn from him? You want to have your faith stirred up? Well, listen well, because we're getting ready to hear from Christ right now. So let's hear him, and then in this way, as we take up his word, holding precious his word and eating up every word of his Word. And so let's read then God's words for us, beginning here in verse 1 of chapter 15. May God stir us up in the hearing of his words. Amen. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. So as we 
sit at Christ's feet here. I want to point to the words that came right before his words here. So right before John 15, 1 through 8, Jesus, he told his disciples in John 14, 31. So literally right before what I just read, simple words here, rise, let us go from here. And so at this point, they were likely, you know, sitting there at table listening to Jesus. And now we don't know if this means that they actually rose up and kind of were walking, you know, down the streets of Jerusalem at this point, you know, or some kind of transition happens here. But whether that means that at this moment they literally arose or they, you know, began kind of readying themselves for leaving, here we're reminded of the Calvary Road that is getting nearer and nearer. Very near. A few chapters away and we will be there. And so as the cross draws nearer, Jesus, what he does here is he's continuing to teach his disciples where he gives them then this illustration that we have here in John 15. And so we have in these verses the illustration of the vine and its branches. So the language here now... You may be hearing this and say, you know, well, that's some great language right there. That's a, that's a great analogy. I like that. That's, that's well and good. It's helpful for me, you know, to know, you know, what he's saying, to really get the point, to illustrate it and all these things. But it, it's doing a bit more than that. He's actually, he, he's not just kind of giving a general illustration here. He's actually giving an illustration that goes way back. Back. In fact, it goes way back into the Old Testament where he's picking up language from, that, from the Old Testament and he's applying it to himself. And so he's reaching back into the Old Testament and specifically to the people of Israel. Where in the Old Testament, we find that they too are called a vine or vines. And so we see this in a number of places, which we're not going to go to, to all of them this morning, but we see it in Psalm 80, which Jared just read for us a moment ago. And I wonder if you heard those words as he read it. And so let me just kind of go back to it for a second. So Psalm 80, verse 8 through 9, where it says there, you brought a vine out of Egypt. Who's the vine? Israel, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And so we see it there in Psalm 80. We also see it in other places, and we see it in one other place I'll point us to in Psalm, not Psalm, but Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in in Isaiah, though, he doesn't come with kind of this, this language that we see in Psalm 80. He comes with an indictment, which you kind of get that in Psalm 80. You're seeing that. Restore us, O God. Shine your face upon us, O God. And so there is that there, but even more so here in Isaiah. And so God, he says of Israel in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, he says, What more was there to do for my vineyard? That I have not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, 
Why did it yield wild grapes? Thinking of what we've already read in this passage. You already see how it kind of crosses over. Let me continue to read on. It says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned. Another word we have in John 15. Or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. And so we see that though Israel was a vine... They were not true. They were a fruitless vine. They were not true to their God. Again and again and again rebelling against him. Well, Jesus, he addresses that here. And so it's not just a nice analogy. He is doing something very specific here and here. Jesus is the exact contrast to that. So Jesus is the true vine. The true vine. Where Israel, they faltered, they failed, they disobeyed, they rebelled. Jesus would not falter. He would not fail. He would not disobey. And he would not rebel. He would be faithful to the very end Faithful always, every step, every word, everything. Amen. Faithful to the end. He would be the greater Adam. Adam disobeyed and he failed. And he would also be everything Israel was not. He would be true. The true vine, the true Israel. And so as the great I am, which we have heard him say these things again and again in the Gospel of John, referencing back to Exodus, the great I am, I am, have sent, I have sent you. As he's done that again and again, here we have then the last I am statement of the Gospel of John with those words there, I am the true vine. All kinds of things weaving together here. I mean, how incredible this is, you know, to see the way that God orchestrates his plans and his history. And it is his history that's unfolding. And we just see it all coming together here. I am statements, Israel, Adam, and Jesus comes then as this true vine. And Jesus, he would not be an unfruitful vine. He would be a fruitful vine. And indeed, he would be the fruitful vine. And so he is the true vine. And then we see here that the father is the vine dresser. Now, a vine dresser was essentially, you know, a farmer or gardener. And so we see here that he takes away the false branches and and he prunes the true branches. Branches, And so he tends to the garden, even as he sent his son to die for sinners. So as we consider all of this, those two things, we see that bearing 
fruit matters. Bearing fruit matters. And we see it with the Old Testament passages and we see it plainly in verse 2 here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. But why does it matter? Why does bearing fruit matter? Well, someone, you know, here, you may object because, you know, you have a friend who claims to be part of this vine. But they know Jesus Christ, yet they bear no fruit. And someone may object because they have a family member who professes to be part of this vine, yet the branch is empty. Someone here may protest because they know of a church member who declares that they are part of the vine, yet their branch is withered. And to all of that, and to each one of those people, let's just say what this passage says here. Let's say what Jesus says here, that not bearing fruit means they aren't part of the vine. It's what he says. You may like it, may like it you may not like it, It's what he says. They are not part of Christ. Now you might see, as you can kind of look at those words there and see those words, in me, or every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, verse 2. You may see all that and just kind of get really tangled up. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, so here, Jesus, he is not talking about people losing their salvation. And I'll tell you why in many ways, but we, we need to see that we've already seen that point that, that you are not going to lose your salvation. If you are in Christ, you will never get out of Christ. We have seen that again and again and again in the Gospel of John. God wants us to know He's going to hold us fast. And so we see things like this from Jesus in John 6.37, which we've already seen. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now, you either have to say he's lying or this passage means something else. Which we know he's not lying. And so instead we see that Jesus is doing a number of things here in this passage. And and one we can just say with an analogy like this for it to work, not every piece is going to have to require an explanation. But more than that, we also know 
that this isn't talking about, you know, those who would uh, you could come to faith and, and then lose your salvation because of a contrast Jesus he has been making throughout this gospel again and again and one we've even seen just a minute ago and I'll tell you that in a minute. But a contrast between believing unbelievers and believing believers. What? That sounds odd, doesn't it? But that's exactly what we've seen in the Gospel of John. We've seen it over and over again. And, and it goes back, if you remember back in the early part of the Gospel of John, even John chapter 2, 23 through 25, there we were told that the Jews, many of them believed as they saw these signs that Jesus was doing. And what did Jesus do? He says that he would not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. Why? Because they were believing unbelievers. He knew that they didn't really believe. Or, also in John 8, as he declares himself the light of the world... The Jews, they hear his words and they begin believing in what he says. And those same ones he tells, the ones who believed, he tells them that they are of their father, the devil. Their will is to do their father's will. Their will is to do the devil's will. So we've seen this contrast again and again, believing unbelievers and believing believers. And we saw it just a moment ago with Judas. Believing unbelievers among the throng of the disciples. Yet he did not know him. So you see how he's bringing all these things together here. And so Jesus says here that those unbelieving believers who bear no fruit, they don't bear fruit because they're not trying hard enough you know like just work harder then you'll get it that's not what he's doing he's saying it that they're not bearing fruit because they're not really part of him at all you know i remember at a house that we used to live in you know we we had our taking care of the lawn and the garden and everything else and man i'll tell you what we we just kept having weeds and if you have a lawn, you already know. You know how that goes. Those weeds are just, get out of here, you know? And you, you pull them up, and they just grow back again. You know, you're just like, man, get out of here, weeds. And I know you could treat it and so on and all these things. But this just kept happening, you know, pulling out the weeds, and more weeds kept growing up. Well, that's what these unbelieving believers look like you know they're they're weedy they're no real true fruit and so as we said before fruit bearing matters and this is a call for us for introspection and extrospection that is to examine your heart and to examine your life, to examine your heart 
and your hands. Because if you're part of this vine, the true vine, there will, there will be fruit there also. There'll be fruit of love. There'll be fruit of joy. There'll be fruit of peace. There'll be fruit of patience. There'll be fruit of kindness. There'll be fruit of goodness. There'll be fruit of faithfulness. There'll be fruit of gentleness. And there'll be fruit of self-control. And so we see bearing fruit does indeed matter. And so for those who are part of the vine, expect, as we see here next, to be pruned. Expect to be pruned. And this is what the Father will do. He'll prune his branches. And, and so what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, well, pruning very practically is where parts of the branches, you know, they're, they're cut off, they're kind of trimmed back, you know, and, and cut back even so that the branch may continue growing. And it will not only continue growing, but it will become healthier and it will produce more fruit, as well. So spiritually then, we see that this pruning that we're seeing here in these verses, this is a good thing. And so conviction, you know, over sin, it may be uncomfortable for you. And I would say, you know exactly what that's like if you know Jesus Christ, that conviction, it is uncomfortable, right? You know, you say, man... I hate this. I hate this way I continue to sin all the time, man. I just, I love Jesus and I hate sin. But see what God is doing in that conviction of sin in your life. What he is doing is he is, he is pruning you. He's growing you that you may bear more fruit. In another way, you know, when a, when a brother or a sister in Christ, they come to you in love with the word. And they come and they, they seek to bring you back. You have in some way perhaps fallen or sinned in some way. And you're going this direction. And they come to you and they say, you know, brother, sister, what you're doing is not okay. You're heading off of a cliff. If you continue going, it's not going to be good for you. And so they come to you in this way to bring you back from sinful wandering. Well, right there we have another aspect of how God so graciously cares for us. So graciously prunes us. What he's doing is he, he uses you and me as brothers and sisters in the Lord to prune his children. Even as James says in James 5.20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's for your good. It's what God's doing. Even in that, 
Man, she's like, no, I don't want people to tell me anything. You know, no one's allowed to tell me I'm doing anything wrong ever. Which I think is pretty much the American mindset that the church has kind of taken on. You can't tell me nothing. I, I don't do anything wrong. You know, is that true? I mean, you're sitting there in the pew as someone who says they know Jesus Christ. That means you already have acknowledged you're a sinner. So my goodness. We already, all of us, have all these blind spots and sins in our lives. And so it is a grace that we have fellow brothers and sisters in our lives that come alongside us and say, I don't know if that's, that's the, the way that we should be going here. This is what scripture says. And God prunes us for our good. Now as we see that, we have this kind of next verse here in verse 3 where he, we see you're already clean you're already clean now that vo- verse right there it may sound kind of odd you know I mean even out of place I mean, where did that come from I thought we were doing well with the vine and the branches and then he just says you're already clean you know like what, what does that have to do with all the vine and branches and everything else well You remember back in John 13, Jesus already said something like this as he washed his disciples' feet in John 13, 8 through 11. So why does he say it here? Well, the words for prune and clean, and we kind of see this in English, you know, that there's an aspect of like cleaning something up from both. But in the Greek, you really see it that they're they're connected, kathire and katharoi. They're connected in their meanings and in their emphases. And so they're close to such a degree that he's saying with these two words, prune and clean, that you're being pruned not because you're not part of the vine, but because you are part of the vine. You're being pruned, yes, but you're already clean. You're part of me. You're mine. And so he's he's trying to make clear here that you're not being pruned because you don't know him and you're trying to get clean enough so you'll be in the vine. He's saying, no, 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 no. You are already clean. You are in Christ. If you know me by faith, the good Father is pruning you because you're in the vine. You know, I, I think we get this practically, too, with our own children. You know, I, I don't discipline my children so that they'll earn the right to be my children. Right? I mean, that's just odd saying it that way. You know, like, you know, I, I'm going to discipline you, and once you're, you know, good, once you're clean enough, then you're going to be my son or daughter. What? <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it goes. I discipline them because they already are my children. Because I do love them. I want to see them flourish. I want to see them grow healthier. I want want them to come to faith in Christ and to know the Lord and to know His Word. And so all those things we do because we love Him in the same way the Father is pruning us because He loves us and because we are His children. And so desire God's good pruning. You know, in sports, you've heard the saying, you know, no pain, no gain. 
Well, this is also true in our walk with Christ. You know, pruning it might hurt, but it's good. It grows you, it matures you, it helps you. And it results in more fruit, not less. Even though at the time you may be like, man, I just went out of this. But it's good. So a humble response to God's pruning is to be a solemn, yes, I want that. You are the potter. I am the clay. Do your will with me. If it means convicting me of sin, if it means showing me all these things in my life that are off, do that, God. I want to be like Christ. I want to bear more fruit for your glory. And so, then bear more fruit. Being stagnant is not what we want. Practically speaking, do you want or would you want a garden or farm where your labor, where you labor and you labor and you labor and it produces absolutely nothing? Would you want that garden? Would you want to keep doing it? You plant water, working it daily, and then the time comes for harvest and absolutely nothing comes. But we are to bear more fruit as those who are in the vine, not out of the vine. So bear more fruit. And this leads us naturally then into Jesus' next point here in verses 4 through 8 that we are called to abide in the vine. Abide in the vine. And so it is that he says there in verse 5 that I am the vine, you are the branches. And then verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And so in other words, we are seeing here that you and I need him. We need Jesus. Amen. You are to abide, but by abiding, it's not possible if he is not in you. Abide in me and I in you. You must be part of the vine and apart from abiding in him, nothing will happen. No fruit, nothing. So apart from being part of the vine, his disciples can do nothing and you can do nothing. No fruit, no flourishing, no health, no life. The branch will remain bear. You need Christ. You need to abide in him and those who don't abide in him are no good branches. Verse 6. So those who don't abide in Christ, they aren't part of the vine. They're gathered it says and, and they're thrown into the fire and they are burned. So unbelieving Believers, faithless professors, empty branches, God, he judges them, period. Not because they're in the vine or ever were in the vine, but because they aren't and they weren't. And so in all of this then, we we come and we kind of ask, you know, what then, what is abiding, what does that look like? You know, what abide in him, well, we'll see more of that here in verses 9 through 17 next week. But here we see it means to get his word in you. To get his word in you in verse 7. 
And so from the vine, from his words, he provides the nourishment for us. We may consider his words the water from Christ that nourishes the branches. Even now, as we're taking in his words, his branches are being nourished by his words. Amen. And so we are, to, we are to take up his words and we're to treasure them, we're to keep them, we're to know them, we're to love them, we're to have his words in us. But what are some ways then that we are to do this or we can do this? Well, let me just ask, how are you physically nourished? It's pretty easy. It's not a hard answer. It's just, do you eat food? <laughs> you know, you need to eat by eating food. So it's the basics, right? It, it's eat. You know, so his words are to be our spiritual food. It is taking up the Bible and eating it. Not, not eating it like physically, like, you know, like a donkey might eat something, like eat this Bible, you know, but you are to, to eat it up like for your soul. Take it in. Get it in you. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. You know, memorizing Scripture, I think sometimes, or at least some people may think, well, if you grew up in church, which I didn't really do that, and so it's a bit different for me, but if you grew up in church, I know many of you have been kind of just new as going through Sunday school as children. That's what you did. You just memorized Scripture, but when you become an adult, no more need to memorize Scripture anymore. We emphasize it so much, but it's so odd that we do that. But that's not the case. It's, it's memorizing. Get the word in you, in your mind, in your heart, and everything in you. So it's not outdated. And meditate upon God's word. Now that last one it might be new or odd to you. Meditation. And so, just to clarify here, you know, the, the other day, when I was putting our children to bed along with Megan, we would, uh, you know, go through these different things, praying with them, talking with them, and everything else. And I was putting Isaiah to bed, and him and I were talking about how Christ is enough. He was just feeling really down because he had done some things earlier that day, and he was kind of down about that and struggling with it. And so we talked about how even though, you know, we still sin, all our sins are forgiven. Amen. And I told him, you know, you need to meditate upon the truth that Christ is enough. Even though you sin, just meditate upon the truth that Christ is enough. And he stopped me and he asked, what do you mean? You know, and to my surprise, isn't that something other religions do? They meditate. And I was like, whoa, okay, I don't know where you heard that from, but, uh, but yeah, okay, that, that's a very good question. Good question, son. And so we went about answering that. Well, let me answer it here. I am not talking here about Eastern unbiblical forms of meditation, like transcendental 
meditation and things like this. I am talking about, and this has been long the history within believers and the church history, is the call to biblical meditation. This is what the psalmist is calling us to to do in Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what happens to him? John 15 happens. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Sounds like John 15. So meditation... It's, it's musing, it's lingering, it's considering, it's reflecting upon God's word. So my, my PhD supervisor, Donald Whitney, he compares this to a cup of tea. You're like, a cup of tea? Let me explain. So the cup of hot water is your mind and the tea bag is scripture. And so he says it like this. Hearing God's word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with more, a more thorough soaking of the bag. Reading, studying, and memorizing God's word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish-brown. That is what meditation is. That is how we are to, to ponder and to think about God's Word, just to let it soak into our minds, and not like in the Eastern way, but taking the Word and thinking about it, lingering upon it, considering it. Amen. Letting it fill our minds and be nourished from the vine, our Lord. And so we are to linger on His words. And then also... Pray as those dependent on the vine. Pray as those dependent on the vine. So we see that also in verse 7. So prayer, it follows from his word. So that is, it's a a natural kind of outflow from receiving nourishment from his word. So it's natural, like from receiving his word, then just to... Pray, God, I need you. You know, it comes right out of that. Like hand in hand. And so this is this praying, it's dependence on the vine in every way. You're drawing from the vine's power, ability, and its upholding of you for everything. From the words and everything. So we are to do as Jesus says here, and we are to ask. I won't go into, you know, as he says. Here, you know, ask whatever you wish. If you want to know what I think about that, you can go back to my sermon on John 14, 14. And we already kind of addressed, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We're not going to talk about that here, but 
What we need to see as a branch that you are not meant to live dependent on yourself, on your own branch, as odd as that sounds. Doesn't it sound odd? You're just relying on your branch somehow. Well, that's not how we're to do it. We're to rely on that vine, on Christ. And so you're to live dependent on the vine. So ask and ask often. So seek him and seek him often. And the result, more fruit to the glory of God. More fruit to the glory of God. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So in light of all of this, who wants this? Who, who wants this kind of picture that I want to abide in him, I want to be enriched by his words. I need him in every way and I depend on him and seek his face. Well, I know I do. And I hope you do also. So consider his words here. Do the extrospection and do the introspection. But just warning there, don't kill yourself with introspection, if you know what I mean. Doing it in every little inch of your life in such a way you can't even move. But rightly, by the Spirit of God, let him examine your heart and your life and your words and everything. And ask, are you a vinely branch? Trusting him, bearing fruit from him, drawing from him through his word and prayer. So what? So what are you going to do about this? So what? So you've heard all of this, but now it's time for you to act What will you do with his words this morning? We said at the beginning, if you were sitting right there, Jesus is right here telling you all these things. We would receive it. I would be attentive to his word. I want to hear every single thing. So then, how are you going to receive his word this morning? How are you going to bring it to bear into your life? And so this week, when will you get out your Bible? When will you let his words abide in you? When will you ask? When will you pray? When will you come before your Father in heaven? So let's take to heart his words and abide in this vine. Now, you might be here and the Lord is convicting you And if you're a believer, he may be convicting you in just the ways we've seen from his word. And if you're getting that way, don't just say, man, that was a a guilt-ridden sermon. Say, well, the Spirit of God is convicting me, and I need to respond to God's word. That's how we need to respond, not like legalism. This is not legalism. This is, I am in Christ, and I want to live for him, just as he calls me to do, and I want to do. And so that's your response if he's convicting you in that way this morning. But he may be convicting you in another way that you have realized that you don't know Christ today. You are that 
friend whose branch is just empty. You are that family member who has no fruit. You are that church member whose branch is withered. Jesus isn't saying to go in a corner and beat yourself. He's saying, come to him and you'll have life. He is the true vine. And he gives life to those who are part of him. So he's saying, come to me. Believe. And you will be saved. Forever. No one will snatch you out of my hand. And so, if you don't know him this morning, look to him this morning. And he'll save you. Let's bow our heads and Let's go before the Lord and pray together. Father, we come and we thank you for pruning us this morning. Thank you for your word. I just ask, I ask and and just pray that evermore, Lord, and I pray the same for each person here and for everyone at Haven. You would help us, Lord, to get, to be, to be going about abiding in Christ and seeing him as the true vine, as our Lord and as our all and as the truth that we indeed can do nothing apart from him. And so we just abide in him, cling to him, pray and seek your face and eat up your words from your word. And so help us, Lord, to do that. And help us to receive and eat and be changed forever. Father, we pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that today will be the day of salvation, even as today is the day of salvation. We pray that you would help them to repent and believe the gospel. And so as we respond through song now, may we respond in our hearts to you So we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.